forces with you. Okay, the story begins. Welcome. We are on page five, the third paragraph on the page. The blessing of Asher Yatsar. The blessing of thanking God for our health. This is a blessing that we recite um, in the morning after washing our hands. We also recite it after every time we go to the bathroom. So if you could memorize this blessing by heart, that will come in very handy. Let, let's quickly go through, sorry, question? No, I was gonna say, I, I know it by heart, but sometimes for some reason, I'll get a little flustered in certain situations. And then, and so that's kind of a question. If I get like halfway through and then I can't remember, and there's like a 30 second pause so I can get to a sitter or, or an app. Right. Do I start over? Do I continue? What? That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> Usually, I, I don't know if it applies to this. I know it applies to the Amida. In the Amida, if there were to be a gap of silence in the Amida, long enough, that, that was longer than the amount of time it takes you to recite the Amida then you would have to start over. So if it takes five minutes to say the Amida, three minutes or whatever it is, and you had a gap that was longer than that. So I don't know if that's the case with this type of blessing or not. I could, I could look it up afterwards. Okay. Good question. Good question. Let, let's quickly go through the blessing in English just to understand the basic, um, just the basic meaning of the blessing. We'll read through it. It's page five. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has formed the man in wisdom and created within him numerous orifices and cavities. It is revealed and known before the throne of, the, of your glory that if but one of them were to be blocked or one of them to be opened, it would be impossible to exist even for a short while. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals all flesh and performs wonders. Okay, so the basic meaning of this blessing, thank you, God, for my health. Thank you, God, for making me healthy. This is a big deal. I recently read a story of a, a Hasidic gentleman. He was part of the Sanz Hasidic group. Sanz is a Hasidic dynasty They're from the town of Sanz. And he went to visit the Sanz Rebbe. And there were a lot more people who had the same brilliant idea as him. Visit the sons of the Rebbe for the holidays or for whatever it was. And he wanted to meet the Rebbe, but he couldn't. He couldn't get in. There was too, too much space. And he was a little flustered. You know, he made this whole trip and didn't get to meet the Rebbe. He went to the bathroom and on his way in the bathroom, the sons of the Rebbe was leaving the bathroom. And he hears the sounds of Rebbe making this blessing of Asher Yatsar with incredible intensity, with incredible uh, kavana. And this guy is just like mesmerized. The sounds of Rebbe sees that he is inspired by his blessing. The sounds of Rebbe tells him, if you made this entire trip and the only thing you've get, you know, expecting all this inspiration, everything, and you've gained but one thing, to know how important it is to recite this blessing, that entire trip is worth it. Because this blessing is so important. 
thanking God for our health, not taking our health for granted. And recognizing its true source, God. What's fascinating about this blessing is the context for which it appears in the Siddur. We first said, Moda'ani, thanking God for our soul, conceding to God, um, to what our soul perceives, despite the fact that our mind does not and hoping to internalize that perception. That's essentially what Maudani is. And turn, uh, hopefully to uh, strengthen our faith. How great is your faithful? Your faithfulness is great. Then we had the washing the hands. The hands represent emotion and we allow the water, which represents wisdom, the wisdom of the soul to take over emotion. Hopefully the soul will integrate and dominate the body and dominate emotion, right? Okay, we had two blessings focusing on the soul. And now we all of a sudden switch gears. We focus on the body. What is the role that the body has in Judaism? We know the role that the soul has in Judaism. What is the role that the body has in Judaism? Let me, let me, let me rephrase. There's an incredible paradigm shift here. We know that Judaism, and we know this from our previous classes, especially our Tanya classes, we know that Judaism challenges us to be soul-focused. What we didn't necessarily know was that Judaism also challenges us to be body-focused in a very unique context. In other words, ideally, the body should be secondary, the soul should be primary. Right, that's not the natural perspective. That's not the default perspective. That's why we need to daven. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to say moda'ani. You know, according to halacha, this is very rare, but according to halacha, somebody who studies Torah um, 100% of the time, that is their life. There is no halachic obligation to pray no need to pray they get it <laughs> they have that sensitivity they get it right um an example that is rabbi shimon bar yochai whom his yard site is on Lagba omer right he was in the cave for 12 years for 24 years okay but that that's very rare for us regular folk we need to dive and we need to become more soul focused that's what prayer is all about on the other hand judaism sees the body as sacred and this is an incredible paradigm shift because compare this to other religions. Compare this to other religions where the body is, you know, and physical pleasures is a necessary evil. In Judaism, the body is holy. So much so that when we're done with life, what do we do with the body? We don't just done with it, dispose of it. We lay it to rest in peace because it's sacred. But what's important here is understanding why the body is sacred. Why is the body holy? Why is the body important? 
it's important in the context of it being a house of the soul. Because it's there to facilitate the soul, it's sacred. Without a healthy body, you don't have a healthy soul. Or you don't have a, I should say, you don't have a present soul. Without a body at all, your soul has no presence, no physical presence. And a soul that's not physically present can't do anything. <laughs> it's just spirituality. It's just passion and love. What's the point? The real point is the impact that it's going to have. And that's a healthy body. So this blessing comes in perfect context. We had two blessings, the Madaani and the Tilatitayim helping us better internalize our soul. And now we have the blessing of Asher Yatsar, helping us better internalize the purpose of the body. Now that we have a soul, we need a body to house it. Now, the reason, again, in other words, the, the reason why the, body's, the, the body is valuable, not intrinsically, although there might be intrinsic value to it too, but we won't talk about that right now. But it's, value, it's valuable because it's there to house the soul. It's there for a deeper purpose. There was a person who was instructed, I believe they were instructed by their doctor to exercise a certain amount of time per day or week, whatever it was, they were very unmotivated. And they wrote a letter to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. There's a, 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 a whole set. I, it's actually, you're looking at it right there. From, hold on, from there to there, okay. 30, <laughs> 33 volumes of personal responsa People wrote letters to the Rebbe, and the Rebbe wrote back, answering questions and very diverse questions to diverse people, diverse areas of life, whether it be halachic, whether it be philosophical, whether it be spiritual, whatever it is, political, um, instructional, educational. There, there's so many different topics, and it's fascinating to see the Rebbe's perspective on life. And uh, so, so somebody was having difficulty being motivated and in, in, in exercising. The Rebbe's response was, look in Maimonides, Maimonides' Code of Jewish Law. Maimonides, there, there are two interesting laws that Maimonides quotes in two different places. In one place, Maimonides says that taking care of the body is part of our service to God. Don't look at it as a distraction from God, Look at it as part of your service to God because a healthy body enables a healthy soul. We can serve God if we're healthy. Okay, that's number one. Number two, Maimonides maintains that mitzvahs must be done with joy. Serving God must be done with joy. In Judaism, joy is you don't have the right to be happy. You have the obligation to be happy. Joy is obligatory. which is fascinating, a fascinating concept within itself. So the Rebbe said, put these two together. Serving God has to be done with joy. Taking care of your body can be a service to God. Do it with joy. 
because it's not even about you, it's about your purpose. Our purpose is to integrate the souls, to house the soul, to make the soul more comfortable. We see this idea, by the way, alluded to in last week's Torah portion. Last week's Torah portion, we had the twins, Isaac and Jacob. And they were fighting with each other from the womb and beyond. Isaac, or sorry, uh, not Isaac and Jacob, Jacob and Asaph. There we go. Asaph, uh, Yaakov, Jacob took Asaph's birthright, right? Asaph sold it for beans, literally. <laughs> And Yaakov, though, had to take it later, right, through deception. But Isaac is getting old, and his eyes are blind, and he knows his time is coming. He knows his time is coming. So he tells Asav, I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to give you the birthright. Get me some meat, right? And when Asav goes out hunting, that's when Jacob sneaks in, right? Okay. But Isaac says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you. I'm going to pass the birthright on to you. Before you do that, go hunt, get me some meat, get me some tasty foods that I enjoy so my soul can bless you. And the commentaries, one of the famous commentaries known as Rabbeinu Bahaya, asks, there's something a little bizarre here. He's about to pass on the torch of Judaism, this relationship with God, this beautiful heritage. And what he needs is meat. <laughs> <laughs> There's something weird about that. I'm about to enter this holy covenant, but first I need diet coke. What, what, what's going on here? There's something, I, you with me here? There's something a little funny about this. Isaac, the patriarch of the Jewish people, thinking he's going to be passing on the torch of Judaism, the heritage of Judaism, of Abraham, on to Esau. But before this can happen, I need meat. And that needs to mean meat that I enjoy. Food that I enjoy. That's what he says. This is just bizarre. Rabbeinu Bahaya provides a beautiful explanation. We often see the body as an obstruction to the soul. But Isaac didn't. Isaac got it right. And Isaac understood that the body is there to facilitate the soul. It's one continuation from soul to body. They're not two separate things. But they fit like a glove. They go hand in hand. And he understood that if his body is taken care of, that can better facilitate the soul. It wasn't just about his own pleasure. And that's why if you look at the text of the Torah, look at the verse. Get me foods that I enjoy so my soul can bless you. That's what he says. He didn't say, so I can bless you. So my soul can bless you. You look at the text from last week's Torah portion, you'll see that's what it says. Taking care of the body enables us to better appreciate and live with the soul. And th this is... Um, this is the bottom line. This is why we were created. In other words, the purpose of creation is not to neglect the body and better connect to the soul. But it's that the soul should have an impact on the body. 
Remember the story we said several weeks ago of the rabbi who used to translate his davening into Yiddish? They said, why? You understand the Hebrew? He says, yeah, but my animal soul understands Yiddish. If you can make your divine soul, if you can make your relationship with God relevant to the animal soul, that's beautiful. If you can make it relevant to your body, even better, you're fulfilling your purpose. Which, which means practically, let's try to, let's try to make this, uh, let's try to make a practical application here. If I am comfortable in my own skin, with my soul, with my Judaism, I'm just comfortable being Jewish, unapologetic. It's just natural. It's just who I am. Don't question my, my, myself. I don't question what people are, people are looking at me or whatever it is. The body and soul are one unit. The, soul, the, soul, the body is now facilitating the soul, not obstructing it. I'll tell you a great story. I just heard this a couple of days ago, so it's fresh. But the story is not fresh. It's fresh to me. There was a Holocaust survivor in the 80s. I don't know his name, so I apologize for not having all the details. But as you can imagine, he was carrying on around a lot of baggage with, with Judaism. He didn't have so much, he didn't have an issue with God or um, the traditions of Judaism, but he did have an issue of being openly Jewish. He was very uncomfortable that he felt it was wrong. I say this without judgment, but that's what he was experiencing. He's watching TV one night, flipping through the channels, and unexpectedly, what? The Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, at Chabad World Headquarters, at a Fabringen. They're singing songs, speaking in Yiddish, teaching Torah. You see the whole vibe on 770, because the Rebbe's Fabringens were broadcasted, or broadcast were broadcasted uh, on, on, uh, globally in the 80s. And he, this guy was just mesmerized. Somebody asked him, what, why are you so mesmerized by this? You usually don't like uh, being so open about Judaism like that. You usually don't appreciate that. And this is coming at the expense of your Monday night football. No, I don't know. But like, what, what are you, why are you watching this? So he said, for the first time in my life, I see somebody who is just so comfortable with Judaism in their own skin, unapologetic, not thinking about other people's perspectives. I don't mean that in an insensitive way, but in, in, a, in a sense of this is the truth. It doesn't matter what people are experiencing. Just totally comfortable with the soul. And this man who had so much resentment toward this finally respected it because he saw somebody who was so comfortable with the soul. Are we ever going to be fully comfortable with our soul? We're going to struggle because we're not a tzaddik. We're the aspiring, we're the, either the bainini or the aspiring bainini. We have the struggle of the two souls. We're never going to be fully comfortable, but we can be comfortable to the extent that we could and we can work toward being more comfortable with our soul. This is the whole purpose of creation. I'll tell you one more insight relevant to this. 
Think about Simchas Torah. One of the most joyous days on the Jewish calendar. The most spiritual days on the Jewish calendar. We dance with the Torah. We celebrate our connection with God through Torah. And what do we read on, Yom, uh, on Simchas Torah on this day? We re read the beginning, of, we finish the Torah, and we read the beginning of Bereshis. We read the beginning of creation. Well, this is a day celebrating our intimate relationship with God. Why are we reading about the creation of the world? <laughs> Not about the world right now. It's about you and me, God. It's about us too, nobody else. Why are we inviting the world here? If we have a relationship with God, a relationship with our soul, but that relationship doesn't impact with God doesn't impact the world. The relationship with the soul doesn't impact the body, the bereshit, the creation. We're missing the point. You've heard this story from me in the past. I'll say it again. I was in a um, a market supermarket in Los Angeles called Supercell, an Israeli supermarket. I used to go there every week. Every Friday, we had a little, we had a table outside. We offer people to put on tefillin, give out Shabbos candles, give out challahs, engage people in their Judaism. It's one of those places where you don't have to ask, hey, are you Jewish? You just, everybody's Jewish in here. So the, it makes it much easier. And at some point, they switched managers. And the new manager was not happy with our table there. It could be because we were blocking the entrance and you couldn't go in unless you put, no, I'm kidding. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, but he, he says he, he was uncomfortable with it. He was uncomfortable with Judaism being in a supermarket, especially the one he was running. And he says, this isn't a synagogue. This is a supermarket. Take this to the shul. And he totally, I was just thinking then, this was like 10 years ago or more. He totally missed the point of Judaism. The point isn't just the soul in heaven. The point is impacting the body. The point is impacting the world around us. The point is making God relevant to us, not just to our souls. He, he was Jewish, this manager? Yeah, yeah, he was Jewish. He was Jewish. So the role, the context of this blessing, thanking God for our health, is so relevant over here. We have the Moda'ani, which is about our soul, being soul-focused. Being soul-focused. And then we have the Asher Yatsar, being body-focused. And those two don't contradict one another. They go hand in hand, because that's what it's all about. An insight that I recently read, look back at the text. Blessed are you, Lord, our King, our, our God, King of the universe, who has formed man in wisdom. Whose wisdom is it talking about? Is it God's wisdom? God formed us with his wisdom. He used his wisdom to, to, to create us. Or did he create us with wisdom? I should preface, the, the translation here is not Translations are never, uh, again, you can't rely on translations. In the Hebrew, it says, which can mean with wisdom. Well, whose wisdom did he use? His 
He formed us with his wisdom or he formed us with our own set of wisdom. And the commentaries explain that the answer is yes. Because they parallel one another. Because we're created in the image of God. And that's true not only on a soul level, but also on a body level. Not that God has a body, but we are created in his image. Which means the body, again, is sacred. The body is holy. Okay, any question before we move on? Questions, thoughts, comments? Actually, I just I have a question about when to say a shirat saras. So I know you say it when you go to the bathroom, but what about like for other things, like if you blow your nose is i think you don't but why why that's a good question you you don't but i don't know why not and in other words it's theoretically anytime your body's working you should say it right um, um we say it put it this way when you wake up in the morning you say it even if you don't have to go to the bathroom right and i have a question about that actually because the, because the body's working but in general you'll only say it when you go to the bathroom um so unfortunately when when you get older sometimes you end up going to the bathroom a, a lot in the middle of the night so you're supposed to say it each time like you're getting up every hour and not necessarily getting up every hour but if you were you'd still say it every time so it, good question the the short answer is yes <laughs> if it says in the shulchan aruch the code of Jewish law that if somebody took a laxative and because it's a laxative they know that they're going to have to go very often I don't know uh, th then you wouldn't say it until you're fully done but if you're done and then you go again I don't know what the um, increments are well then then the opposite question what if you you think you have to go and then you go and hardly anything you get a little dribble out. You still right, say it. Okay. No, no, it's a, it's a good question. Yeah, the answer is yes. It, 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 this yeah. is addressed in, the, in Jewish law. Even if there's just one drop, the most minute amount, that's an indication that your body's working and you thank God for that. But just to be clear, you shouldn't say it until you leave the bathroom, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. It wouldn't yeah. be said in the bathroom. So, exactly. one thing I'm, I'm a little confused about. So, until also after you wash your hands. Um, when, if you get up in the middle of the night, you say it, but then when you finally get up after Modani, if, from what I understand, you then, you say Modani, and then maybe you go to the bathroom, but at that point, you don't say it until you, like, you get dressed and everything, right? Correct, correct. So, when, so, so that's the only so time, when, really, you would delay it, or? Yeah, so generally, throughout the day, you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands, you say it in the morning, first thing in the morning, you would go to the bathroom, you'd say moda'ani, wash your hands, go to the bathroom, shower, do whatever you're doing. Once you're dressed, you wash your hands a second time with a blessing, and then you say it. So, so now that begs another question. If you, if you go to the bathroom, middle day, middle night, whatever, and then maybe you, you forget to say it, or you just, for whatever reason, you delay, is there like, a certain amount of time where you can still say it, like if 10 minutes pass and you realize, oh, I didn't say Asher, sure, it's okay. hard, can you still that, say that, it? That's a good question. The, the answer is yes. I don't know what it is, though. Um, mm. I, can, I can look it up afterwards. Okay. Remind me. That's a good question. It's a very good question. 
there is all a, things I've been wondering about for a while. So. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. Please, please remind me afterwards, and, and I'll, I'll look it up. It's a good. It's a very good question. Very practical question. Take a look at the end of the blessing. Last line or second to last line. Blessed are you, Lord, who heals all flesh and performs wonder. If you were a doctor, and if you were a doctor who didn't believe in God, you may take offense from this uh, blessings. What do you mean, the Lord, God, who heals all flesh? You're the doctor. I'm the doctor. I'm the one healing. Right? Imagine, you know, you, you walk out of the doctor's office, you look upward, thank you, God, and the doctor's just standing there, hey, what, what about me? Judaism understands, the, the, the way Judaism understands this, though, is that healing actually does come from God. Not from the doctor, it comes through the doctor, not from the doctor. The doctor acts as God's custodian to heal. The Torah says, you shall surely heal. The Talmud explains that the language that the Torah used makes it sound as if God is giving permission to heal. And, and, and he indeed is. God is the healer. He allows doctors to act as the custodian of God to heal. As the hand of God, if you will, to heal. But it's really dependent on God. That's why we pray. If somebody's sick, God forbid, we go to the doctor and we pray. We don't do one, we don't do either or neglect both. We don't say, I don't need to go to the doctor because I'm praying because God, there has to be a physical way to facilitate this. We also don't say, I went to the doctor, I have no need to pray. Because that doctor is the custodian. Um, I'll tell you a story. There was somebody who was ill once and came to Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Lihadi, the author of the Tanya, for a blessing, for a recovery. He told him, eat this matzah, drink this wine. He gave him specific matzah and wine to, to eat and drink. And he was healed. And the question that has been asked for generations is that wasn't medication. Like, well, how did that work? What, what, just, what just happened? The answer is he got a blessing from God to heal. But that blessing needed something physical in which, with which to materialize. Often it may be a doctor. In this case, it was the wine and the matzah. Uh, and I... There's something here that we must add, and this is important. Because healing comes from God, life and death comes from God. The doctor has one job and one job only, to do their best to heal. But to give their life sentence, you have this much time. That's not their job, that's overstepping boundaries. To say that this person's unhealable, it's overstepping boundaries. To say it might scientifically not make sense, okay, that's one thing. And you don't always have to follow, you know, but to, but to say that it, it's impossible, 
Well, who, who, gives, who gives anybody that right? To say that this person doesn't have quality of life and there's no need to keep them going. Well, who gives them the right to say that? That's not their job. God gave doctors permission to heal. He didn't give them permission to decide how long uh, people are going to live and whose life is worth living. This is a, a, an incredible issue and source of contention amongst doctors and rabbis. Um, in, I know in, in hospitals, the chaplain or rabbi and ethics committee are constantly clashing. Although the, the hospital I worked for at Cedar Sinai Medical Center, the rabbi there was brilliant. He got a PhD in biomedical ethics and he became the head of the ethics committee. So he's the rabbi and he is the ethics committee. So he has fascinating stories on how he balances that. That's very is that Rabbi Weiner? Yeah, yeah, that's Rabbi Weiner. Fascinating individual. I'll, I'll tell you another story. There was a rabbi named Rav Nechemia of Dubravna. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. Rav Nechemia, unfortunately, had a daughter who was paralyzed. I believe she was born paralyzed. This took place several centuries ago. And none of the doctors had the ability to heal. And all the doctors said, impossible. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Varditchev, the chief rabbi of Varditchev, came and was lodging at his house for Shabbos or whatever it was, and makes his way to the daughter's room. The daughter was, I believe she was young at the time. And Rabbi Nechemia says to Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Varditchev, paralyzed, nothing we can do. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak just exited the bathroom at this time. He exited the bathroom and before reciting the blessing, John, I don't know what the time frame was, he makes it to her room and recites the blessing and, con and concludes, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, Lord, who heals all flesh and performs wonders. And he says that with in intense um, focus, incredible passion. And he repeats it again who heals all flesh and performs wonders. And he does it again several times with an incredible passion and focus and kavana, who heals all flesh and performs wonders. Miraculously, she's healed. And we learn from there firsthand, healing comes from God. God usually decides to facilitate it through a doctor, but he doesn't have to. And, and by the way, this is not only true with healing. We're saying this with healing because we're talking about the blessing of health. But this is true with everything in life. Any form of success is attributed to God and facilitated through work. I'll give you a, a basic example. You own a field, you plow, you sow, you hope the crops are gonna grow and you're gonna make money. But God has to make it rain. If it doesn't rain, you could plow all you want. You're not getting any crops. On the other hand, 
if you get God's blessing and it rains, but you don't have a field, you're also not getting any crops. So you need God's blessing. You need some sort of physical um, vessel to facilitate that blessing. And that's why we don't need to really get too nervous about work. Judaism teaches us to relax when it comes to our professions and not allow them to come at the expense of our relationship with God because it's merely just a vessel to facilitate a deeper blessing. I remember when COVID first hit, you know, the world was shaking. Besides for the fear of getting COVID, everything's shutting down. How is this going to affect everybody financially? My father runs a business. He's a criminal defense lawyer. And courts were closed for months before they started doing court on Zoom. And he didn't know what he was going to do. He had to let some of his employees go. My father was very relaxed, very calm. He has an incredible amount of faith. My sister says to him, aren't you nervous? He says, no. Why should I be? He says, because are you going to make money? He says, I have a job. What do you mean? <laughs> what is everybody nervous about? Yeah, but everything's closing. And I, so money comes from God. I'm doing my part. God will do his part. And that's exactly what happened. God, we do our part. And God does his part. The Baal Shem Tov, we'll conclude with this story. The Baal Shem Tov was, I conclude with two more points. The Baal Shem, sorry for, <laughs> you don't want to land too many times, but you know, sometimes you have to. <laughs> the Baal Shem Tov was fundraising for a particular project. He knocks at a donor's door and tells him about what he's fundraising for, says this is what we need money for. And before the guy has even the chance to give him the money, the Bashem runs off, moves on, on to the next. The guy was just bewildered. What the heck just happened? He asked me for money. He didn't stick around for me to get it. and give it to him. The guy chases down the Bashem hands him the sack of money and says, here you go. Why did you leave? What the heck just happened? You asked me for money. You didn't stick around. The Bashem says, money comes from God. We have to do our part to facilitate it. I did my part. I had better things to do with my time. The money came. It worked. God came through. <laughs> Follow me for more fundraising tips, right? <laughs> That's why in this week's door portion, Jacob is leaving his parents' home, running away from Esau. He's going to go to Lavan. He's leaving the comfort, the sacred environment of Isaac's home. And he's going to go to his uncle's house. His uncle is corrupt. His uncle does not have the same sacred values he has. On the way, the sun sets miraculously early. Jacob goes to sleep, right? You're familiar with this story and he has the dream, the famous dream ladder, right? The angels going up and down. And Rashi points, the Torah says he put some stones. He gathered some stones around him and Rashi points out that he put the stones around his head to protect himself. And many of the commentaries ask, well, how does that help? That protects his head, but if an animal attacks the rest of your body, your head ain't doing too well. 
And if you also, so what, what is the point in just protecting your head with stones? So there's various answers amongst the commentaries, but there's also a lesson here. There's a, um, a metaphoric answer. He's about to go into Lavan's house, leaving the sacred comfort of his father's house. He's about to go to work. He worked seven years for his two wives. And when you go to work, invest your hands, but protect your head. Don't let it get to your head. Don't let it stress you out. Don't let the world stress you out. Don't let the world corrupt your mind. Put stones around it. Protect it. How does that connect to Asher Yatsar, to the blessing of Asher Yatsar, the blessing of, heal, of healing, the blessing of health? It all comes from God. It's all good. My story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs>